Hello and welcome to Two Hearts, a new Who podcast. My name is James. And I'm CJ and this is the only podcast where we're on our way, Governor. We shall proceed up the apples and pears. Now hush a bye, it's showtime. Here on Two Hearts, we take a look at another episode from the 2005 Doctor Who revival. And this week, we are giving you double the Who with a look at the first two episodes of season two, New Earth and Tooth and Claw. But before we get into that, how are you this week, CJ? Yeah, I'm okay this week. Um, it's been a work's been a bit stressful. You don't want to hear about that. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, I'm actually going on leave, and I'm going up to into the mountains to write my play this week. So I'm actually looking forward to a bit of time off getting out of the city for a bit. Cause I haven't actually left city or this, uh, sorry, I haven't left Sydney or a city like scape in all this year. So I'm looking forward to just being able to escape for a little bit. Um, yeah. How are you? I'm not too bad. Um, I unfortunately discovered this week that I'm going to need to have my wisdom teeth removed. So like fun dental surgery is on the cards for this Who fan, uh, which is, you know, definitely not what anybody wants to find out during a global pandemic crisis, but that's life. It does give me more time to, in theory, watch Doctor Who, but in reality, probably watch my new obsession, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, because I'm gay. (laughs) Yes. Um... Yes, look, I can't argue with that logic, unfortunately, but I am uh, thrilled. I am thrilled that you're watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I have been trying to get you to watch it for years. And so when you messaged me and said that you were finally sitting down and watching episode one, uh, I got to say, I wept a little bit with joy. It was that good. It's one of those rare examples of a piece of media that completely does live up to the hype. Um, And I will gladly, fully, with my whole chest, recommend it to anybody who's listening. Um, Especially as a kind of like... I don't know, almost like a prototype to what the Doctor Who revival would go on to do. It's very like a monster of the week with a core cast that emotionally learns over time. I mean, it's like Sailor Moon in that way as well. But look, I I highly recommend it. I think everyone will have a good time with it. Um, But I guess we should probably focus on the actual topic of our show. Yes. uh, It's interesting just briefly that you mention using Buffy as a way of looking at the revival because like, RTD pretty explicitly drew on Buffy as it's as like a prime um, sort of uh, inspiration for this show and for an example of why that kind of t- fantasy television programming can still work e- today. Um, yeah, so Buffy ha- answers actually for a lot of why we're here now doing what we're doing. Um, and you're recommending it and you've only watched like one season and a bit. So you haven't even got to the good stuff yet. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, what I've seen so far has been has been pretty solid, but um, yeah, yeah, it's it's just a lot of fun, and especially if you need something that's a little bit more lighthearted that you don't have to really, I don't know, I guess think too critically about in these particularly shitty times that we are in. Um, it's it's well worth diving into. You're absolutely right. It is well worth a watch if you haven't watched it already in these times too, because it is incredibly life affirming for a show that is also quite horrific um in theme and and in genre as well and it's always good to sort of be engaging with those types of media when if you can't go out or if you are sort of stuck in a 
in a place where you, wherever you may be. Also, don't forget, of course, you can reach out to us on social media. Uh, we've been sharing a lot of memes of late uh, on the Kylie spectrum, uh, which we're really tickled by, and we hope you are too. Yeah, we, we've had a weird focus on Kylie Minogue just because she's uh, quote-unquote saving disco, apparently. Um, and so we have been oddly tweeting about her a fair bit from the official account, which you should follow, by the way. Um uh, yeah, but um, I think just diving into some quick Doctor Who news, obviously now that we've moved to our every two weeks um, recording schedule, this news isn't exactly new, but it is definitely worth talking about. Um, Doctor Who has netted its first, what is it, an Emmy? Yeah, its first Emmy nomination for not even like an episode of the show, but for a spin-off reality VR experience uh, called The Runaway, which uh, went out last year, I believe, uh, for the Oculus and Vive, Viv, something like that. Um, And it's 10 minute short, Jodie Whittaker in the TARDIS, uh, trying to get an alien uh, back to its home planet. Um, Incredibly cute, sweet. You can experience it on YouTube if you haven't, if you don't have access to VR equipment, which is like most of the world. But it is like the animation style is really cute and it's a nice, enjoyable little look into the TARDIS, I guess, from a 360 perspective. And it's been nominated for an enemy, an enemy, uh, an Emmy, which is amazing. It is. It's amazing. It's nice. Uh, it did get me thinking, though, uh, if you could just off the top of your head, if you could nominate an episode of Doctor Who for um, an Emmy and like directing or writing or whatever it is, uh, what would you nominate? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, <laughs> I feel like the obvious answer and the answer that everyone would want me to say is blink. But for my money, it's turn left, which is my favorite episode of the revival. Uh, without giving too much away, it is uh, a tour de force, in my opinion. Um, that wasn't giving anything away, really. Um, what was your opinion? What's what's your episode? If I was to give an acting Emmy nomination, it would be to Peter Capaldi in uh, is it World Enough and Time Part Two? Uh, yes, with the Cybermen. Yes, yeah, the the Cyberman uh, two-parter where he, he quote-unquote, you know, sort of dies on the battlefield. I think that his uh, delivery of that entire episode is the best he's ever been as the Doctor. Um, and, and as a huge Clara fan, that is saying something. Um, but yeah, I, I would 100% give it to that performance. Uh, I think it really would, would be nice to have acknowledged him. I would have assumed you would have nominated Jenna Coleman before Peter Capaldi. So that's like completely out of left field for me. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I would love to give Hellbent every Emmy imaginable, but um, I have had enough controversial opinions for one week. But without further ado, I think we have kept you fine folks waiting long enough. Um, we are going to basically try to cover New Earth and Tooth and Claw this week because when we sat down to plan these episodes out, we realised that uh, these two episodes are not particularly inspiring to either of us. Uh, so we're just kind of going to try and smash it out in, in one. That way we can get to school reunion and really have our fun with that in, in two weeks' time. Uh, so without further ado, let's dive right in. Doctor, we're on New Earth. I love you. Uh... <laughs> Rose, this is the face of birth. It's so pretty and old. Oh, Doctor, thank you for coming. <gasps> Who's that? Zoom in, Chip. You get the you get the gist. Wow. 
So, New Earth is episode one of series two of Doctor Who, um, directed by James Hawes and written by Russell T Davies. It is David Tennant's first fully-fledged episode as the Doctor, with Billy Piper as Rose Tyler, uh, seeing a return of Zoe Wanamaker as Cassandra, the bitchy trampoline, and uh, Sean Gallagher as Chip, which is her like manservant. Um, IMDb this week. IMDb. IMDb. We you know we read these subscriptions with subscriptions. We read these synopses out every week, and they never fail to underwhelm us. And um, I got to say, this one actually sets up the the plot pretty pretty succinctly. I'm into it. Um, the Doctor and Rose arrive on New Earth and meet old friends and enemies in a hospital which can cure every disease, but the cures come at a terrible cost. Great byline, not byline. Great uh, one line. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> so, New Earth. After saying an official goodbye to Mickey and Jackie, where Rose, for some reason, gives Mickey a big kiss on the lips. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, Rose and the Doctor set out on another adventure, this time landing on New Earth, which is a planet rebuilt for humanity after the death of their original planet. They have been summoned to the greatest hospital in the galaxy, known for being able to cure anything by the face of Bo, but they're soon separated by Lady Cassandra in a plot to transfer her consciousness into Rose's body. Um, Rose meets back up with the Doctor, now as Cassandra, and they discover that the hospital has been growing clones in the basement to test diseases and cures. Lady Cassandra attempts to blackmail the cat nuns who run the hospital, but end up freeing the thousands of diseased clones who run rampant in the hospital like zombies. The Doctor chastises Cassandra for her actions while do, uh, while finding a mass cure for the clones. After the cure has been dispersed through the hospital, Rose and the Doctor take Cassandra, now in the dying body of her slave clone Chip, to visit her past self one last time before dying. Oh, sweet. Messy. Um, you say potato, I say potato. Uh, all right, so let's let's dive right in. Um, what did you think of New Earth? Oh, New Earth is... Oh, it's a weird one to discuss because this is supposed to be like the very first adventure for Rose and the doctor, right? Like this is, they're, they're at a new point in their relationship. He's a completely different man. She has to discover him all over again. And for some reason they decide to start the season off by removing Rose almost entirely from the proceedings. It's an odd choice. I'm not going to defend it. I think it's, I think it's truly wild, just wild a choice <laughs> to do that. Uh, having said all of that, uh, it is enjoyable on a very, very surface level. Um, but when, it, when I take even the c- closest of looks at it, uh, it just falls apart. <laughs> what about you? What do you think? Um, I I did not care for New Earth very much at all. Um, like Christmas Invasion was, um, it was it was it was bad, but at least there was something to sort of like dive into there a little bit. Um, New Earth strikes me as um, pretty indicative of sort of the tone that I think a lot of season two is defined by, which is this very like over the top cartoonish. Um, no logic present at all, uh, characters just kind of 
faffing about. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't love this episode very much at all. And I think it's a very bizarre opening to a season. To your point about separating ostensibly the new character of the Doctor and Rose when they should be at their most pivotal um, sort of getting to know each other moments and then saying, no, we don't need any of that because, you know, Billy Piper needs a comedy role and David Tennant needs to, again, just sort of cycle through every possible facet of the Doctor without really landing on any of them with any sort of depth. And the end result is just something that's really, like, even messy for Russell T Davies standard. Like I, like I've obviously had my gripes with his writing across season one, but this feels particularly sloppy. Yes. I can't help but agree with you there. Um, It's an odd, it's odd considering that episode one of any series is supposed to be like this kind of incredibly, not necessarily structured, but at least thoughtful to the arc of the series that's about to take place. And with Russell T Davies' uh, three other series that he did, you know, you've got Rose, the very first episode of Doctor Who for the 21st century ever, like obviously a lot of thought went into it as a first episode. And then Smith and Jones and Partners in Crime, both, you know, companion introductory stories and so have a very clear function there as well. Whereas for series two, I think like this episode, Tooth and Claw and Girl in the Fireplace were all, considered at what point to open the series up and knowing that you you do get a sense that like it's kind of like anything could that anything could happen kind of vibe had kind of soured a little bit um what do I mean by saying that I guess just that there was no that gives the impression there was no clear indication of what they really wanted to do what the journey was for this series like you say it was almost the episode of the week structure like just went a little bit too cartoonish for my liking. And this is a, um, a prime example of that. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, I think that it's interesting having, cause I, I basically had like a, I think last Saturday night um, I was a bit bored. So I ended up just watching a bunch of season two. And I mean like, a, like an embarrassing amount, let's not get into it, but um, it's clear that I think the only real decision they've made in terms of what they wanted to say with this season was that, Rose and the Doctor are going to fall in love, right? And so immediately, like, after the after they leave Earth um, and they land on New Earth, they get out of the TARDIS and they've got about five minutes together before Rose gets uh, sort of swept up in her own little body swap uh, plot going on on the side there. Um, and they are just immediately super, like, into each other and comfortable and it doesn't at all feel like an introductory story. And like, yes, in, in, to an extent it is, you know, it's season two. We are technically con- continuing on the story of the doctor and Rose together. Um, but like, this is a new man. She spent the bulk of the last episode quite distraught at how new this man was. And so to start this episode and have them immediately be like, Oh, well, everything's amazing. We're like, you know, having a little, like sitting on his coat as if it's like a picnic rug and laughing about how incredible their journeys are together. And it's all very like sweet. Sure. But it just doesn't make much sense in terms of its placement in the series. And I think to your point about how, if this was considered to be one of three potential stories that opens up the season, it it goes a long way to explain why it feels so ripped out of time and place. There's no sense of an overarching arc to anything here. It's just a in a vacuum story about Rose and the Doctor. 
in the same way that Tooth and Claw kind of ends up being uh, next episode, but we'll get to that. Mm, we will. And yeah, to what you're saying, uh, my question is sort of, how much time do you think has elapsed between the Christmas invasion and this episode? Because like, I think from in that little short prologue before the titles there, the obviously like the weather's changed. It's a different season. Um, I do wonder like how much time has elapsed and maybe Rose, like this is just me trying to explain away some of these issues we're having. Um, maybe enough, like enough time has elapsed for Rose to become comfortable with this doctor um and to to be so comfortable as like to be old friends with this in particular kind of incarnation by the time we get to new earth um the other thing i was thinking is it's also like in in behind the scenes kind of lore um a lot of these episodes were developed with chris freckleston in mind not the latter end of season two but some of these openings and so I do wonder like how much effort was put into changing or fixing those concepts just slightly to accommodate for this new doctor. And it really feels like to me, David Tennant's first series isn't David Tennant's first series, but rather the continuing adventures of Rose, the continuing adventures of Doctor Who, um, which is okay because this is, as you say, like it's, it's season two. It's still, it's got to prove itself as, as an ongoing series. And part of that means following the emotional journey of your main character, who at this point is still Rose. It's not the doctor. Um, it's just a shame that like, as part of Rose's journey and continuing journey, they skip over the best part, which is her coming and learning how to interact with this new person. They just skip straight to, I'm in love with you. Like she says, like, you know, we she characterizes her first time out with Chris Reckleston as like a date. And I don't know. I don't know. There's some real bad stuff going on here. Yeah, definitely. I don't know that we talked about in uh, Christmas Invasion how, you know, we always wanted them to pick a direction with these two. Um, and they, they now clearly pick that direction. And that's fine. Like, I don't begrudge them doing a romance story. Um, do I wish that it can, it didn't come at the sacrificing of Rose's overall arc and agency? Absolutely. Of course I do. But it's the choice that they made. And I'm, I'm more than willing to get on board with it so long as they do the work to back it up. And the problem I have with this is that we're so immediately charmed by the two of these actors together that I don't think anybody really stops to consider just how little work the script is doing to actually justify how comfortable she immediately is with him other than the fact that like oh I mean like sure he's handsome but like in terms of where we're at with Rose's emotional journey coming off of the last episode it just doesn't flow at all and I like the idea that maybe some time has passed between these two episodes but that's so much heavy lifting to have to do on the audience's part. If we don't see these two characters, essentially one of them being a new character interacting and, and having those awkward getting to know each other moments and developing a closer intimacy, it just rings completely hollow. And in a sense, I guess it's good then that uh, they get separated for as long as they do in uh, New Earth here, because when they're together for a whole episode in Tooth and Claw, it becomes borderline insufferable. Um, but we will, again, Tooth and Claw keeps kind of like inserting itself into this conversation. I think it's because there are problems um, and also compliments that we're about to get to that are shared across both episodes here. Uh, but again, we'll 
push that one to the side. Um, I do want to talk about Billy Piper's performance in New Earth because um, behind the scenes, she requested from Russell T Davies that she gets to do more of a comedic role in season two because season one was quite serious. Um, she's very new to acting at this point, even though she's clearly proving herself to be quite amazing at it. Um, and so I think this idea for having a you know goofy body swap subplot going on in this episode um and having rose or having billy piper be able to impersonate cassandra um stems from that desire for comedy and for me it it is probably the best part of the episode is her performance oh okay that's interesting um i did know about the day uh, billy piper requesting more comedy uh the other interesting thing to note is david tennant actually felt like the well the new boy on the block because he was the new boy on the block but also like he was jumping into a show uh that was billy piper's for lack of a better word um and so he felt like she had maybe a bit more experience over him so hearing you say that she's inexperienced i was like wait what but like of course she's inexperienced in terms of years acting but um in terms of actually working on doctor who she's got one over him uh which i find interesting if yes, I yes, her performance is fine. <laughs> I don't think I'm as high on it as you are. Um, it's it, it totally is comedic and it's so charming and like I think my favorite section, I think my favorite scene with her as Cassandra is like when she's talking to the cat nuns uh, and she's like all those like the lines she comes out with like you know what are you going to do whiskers and you're not exactly guns with nuns not nuns with guns um so there's just like this fast paced kind of quippiness to that scene that i really like i it, yeah but my enjoyment of it is like capped by my frustration with the fact that we don't get a lot of rose in this episode but to your point like it is still a good performance yeah, and I think the reason I'm so high on it is because it is my, like, life raft in the choppy waters that are New Earth. It's the only thing that I really kind of, like, wholeheartedly resonated with was Billy Piper's work in this episode. Because, yeah, like, you're right, we don't get almost any Rose. Um, and the Rose that we do get in those first five minutes is not exactly her best side in the sense that it does just, again, reduce her down to, oh, I love this. I love traveling with you, Doctor. And it's like, yeah, like, I get it. We all get it. But like, what else do you love? Like, <laughs> what else is going on in your in your mind at the moment? Um, and so to have that kind of compartmentalized and have her be able to do the whole Cassandra bit, I think is just the most fun that the episode has because the rest of it, the other, like you get the wacky kind of like body swap comedy stuff. And then the flip side of new earth is this kind of really underbaked commentary on um, society and a little bit of class and medicine and the ethics of cloning and all of that gets really lost. And the fact that I'm struggling for words so much with New Earth is, is I think it's pretty indicative of just how unfocused the script is. It's difficult to pin something down and critique something that is this, like, elusive. It's like trying to catch smoke in your hands and then give it a grade at the end. Yes. It, the the sisters, the sisters of, uh, what are they called? Plenitude? Patients? Sisters of Plenitude. I think that they are, like, cartoonishly evil, uh, as you've said. Um, I love their design, actually. I think the image like okay this is one thing that i do rate russell t highly on which is like he can i know he uses animals as the basis for aliens a lot of the time but uh he does know a good image 
uh, and that's going to stick in your brain. And the idea of cats in nun outfits is one of those, one of those ones. I think it's a great, uh, not necessarily concept, but just like an image of the cats walking around and their serene uh, choreography um, is great. Um, And I think they're really good performances. Um, But it is, it's hard to sort of categorize like what's exactly at stake, what's happening. Yeah. Like again, my my inability to speak speaks to some of my like just general confusion about this episode. There was one point that I uh, was interested in just unpacking, not because I feel like this episode is particularly concerned with it, but just like there's a line where novice Hayne mentions that the humans were bringing diseases that they couldn't cope with. And that's why they needed to create this subclass of human to experiment on. And it got me thinking like, oh, is this like a commentary on colonialism? Did the humans colonize this planet that the cats originally lived on? And they brought all these diseases with them, which is very much a historical antecedent with uh, white settlers colonizing other, like, you know, North America and Australia and bringing these European diseases with them. Um, Is that a commentary here? But it's just a line. It's just a throwaway line that isn't brought up or mentioned ever again. Um, which is frustrating, which is so frustrating. Yeah, it, it, it really is. Like New Earth is, is a frustrating episode in that sense because um, there is a lot of potential going on. Um, there's a lot of, you know, nuances. I know that we hate that word, but like truly there is a lot of nuance that could have been explored here if... I don't know if it had just chosen a lane to work in because you've also got the face of Bo thrown in there as well. And so there's sort of two halves of the episode. And if you'd just done the body swap face of bow story, or if you'd just done the cloning disease story, I think either one could have been really great on their own, but meshing them together does a disservice to both of them. Um, and the cat nuns are a really good example of that because when the, they get exposed for sort of creating this subclass of clone humans who they, they test all the diseases and cures on. And there's essentially it's like the in Christmas Invasion, the whole you don't get a golden age without making some really tough choices. And this is obviously a much worse example of that. Like this is a outright quite a cruel way of, of making progress. But there is progress made. Um, there is still good coming from this really quite dark, disgusting, evil place. And there's a like one line from one of the cat nuns to the doctor about this and then again like the possible colonialism commentary it's just completely tossed aside like nobody in the story gives a shit about the implications of what's going on and so in in turn you don't really give a shit about it um and it's yeah it's just frustrating and if you go back and listen to two hearts episodes it's always indicative of just how slippery a particular episode of this show is the more that we use the term frustrating the more slippery an episode is and and this one in particular is very very frustrating Ooh, that was a good indictment to go back and 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 listen to some of our old episodes (laughs) um yes just not episode one or two (laughs) just not episode one or two but they forget about them we'll re-record them later um Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and it's an interesting, I just want to piggyback on what you have said about the ethics of what the nuns have done to comment on David Tennant and his particular doctor here, because we got in Christmas Invasion, his like big blustery, no second chances kind of speech. And then 
it's continued in this episode where he confronts the cat nuns and he's like really fucking raging. Like he is just like teeth bared, eyes blazing, just full on angry at them. It's an interesting contrast, I think, to Christopher Eccleston in that this doctor is somebody, as I uh, mentioned in The Christmas Invasion, this doctor is somebody who like, who has a moral compass, knows exactly what's right and like has this like a black and white vision of what's right and what's wrong. And who also like has like where's their emotions on their sleeve like you know they can get angry at the drop of a hat whereas it took a lot for Chris Eccleston to like bare his teeth it's an interesting performance it's not my favorite David Tennant moment uh in fact I think it takes a long time for David Tennant to really gel into the role uh, definitely not this episode and not the ones coming as well and it, yeah, I don't know. There's this thing about his performance that just like really rubs me up the wrong way. Um, I was thinking about the very last scene where he cures all of the the patients and says it's 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 almost like a clear contrast with the everybody lives moment in the Doctor Dances, in that it's a sheer it's the joy of of life of creating life, but it just feels so phony and faked, and because of a because of how early on in his run it is, but also. B because I still have no idea who this doctor is really. Um, There's a lot of choices being made here in this episode that feel too early, I guess, or not earned. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I agree. I I think you've hit the nail on the head there. It's, uh, and again, with Tooth and Claw, we're going to get into this and the same stuff we were talking about with Rose and the Doctor's relationship being as far along as it is this early in the season. It feels like because this is season two and the character is still called the Doctor, Russell T. Davies just completely forgot that he needs to actually build to these kind of moments the everybody lives moment is so impactful because it comes midway in the season and we've seen the doctor lose a couple of times there's precedent set for that doctor with that face to suffer and david tennant has like he ended his last episode with a massive victory as well and not just a massive victory but like a cartoonishly like cool quote-unquote victory you know he won a sword fight he saved earth he did it right and so now to go into this episode and have not just the ending to the clone storyline be that nebulously written in the sense that like, yeah, you cure the diseases. Now you've got, and he, he gives that big speech about, oh, it's an entire new subspecies of humans. And it's like, yeah, but they've also known nothing but trauma their entire lives. They have no real functionality outside of the language that they've picked up through the tank. Like, this isn't a clean cut, happy victory in the way that it's um, filmed in the way that he acts that moment out. And so it just gets very messy there. And that ties into your bigger point about, and, and this is sacrilege, so it's difficult to talk about, but I don't think David Tennant entirely embodies the role properly until much later in the season. You get flashes of it in school reunion. It gets a bit better in go in the fireplace, but I don't think he fully comes into the role until impossible planet Satan pit. Um, because peppered in between there are these big, like you said, those teeth bearing moments where he, he goes so big with the role. And I get that that defines it for a lot of people, but for me, on retrospect it just doesn't feel all that well acted <laughs> yes i'm really glad that you picked on a possible planet as where david tennant crystallizes for you because i feel the same way um i think that's probably if not his defining performance at least the first performance where i was like i know who you are as the doctor and also i know what sets you apart from other doctors um 
that was the great uh, sort of, and we'll get to that episode, obviously, but that was the great uh, success of that story. It also nails the Dr. Rose relationship uh, the best of any episode, I think. Um, but obviously we'll get to that. Um, I think um, let's pivot slightly to the face of Bo. Um, it's a very small thread in this episode, but I I do enjoy the fact that like the doctor's here to see an old friend and it's the face of Bo who he like didn't interact with at all in the end of the world. Uh, I find that super hilarious. Um, not intentionally, obviously. Um, I think that the face of Bo is just like this funny little addition in this episode and actually is not entirely, not entirely like successful because there's that line drawn between like the lonely God and the wanderer and all this stuff and parallels there with the doctor again like it just feels so early and so like and not enough work has been put into establishing who this doctor is before saying all of these other grander things about who that character is um it just feels super early the other returning character of course is cassandra and i have to say i like i actually really enjoy her return just as a bit of continuity with the series one to sort of reassure viewers that it was the same not only the same show but that this there was going to be some continuity with what had come before um and cassandra gets a very interesting ending doesn't she she does her lady cassandra is such a strange one in this episode so because you've got either billy piper or sean gallagher doing the bulk of the um face acting for lady cassandra in this episode as opposed to just that like cgi sheet of skin um you do get an inherently sympathetic performance from her in in a lot of ways um like obviously when she's in rose's body there's a lot of fun done with the whole cockney accent and oh my god i'm a chav and it's all like it's a lot of fun um and humor is a good way to start sort of empathizing with a character and her inherent desire to not die is quite relatable like i, I think that's a that's a very stock standard um emotional thing for us to latch on to as an audience and then at the end um she basically during a, an escape sequence from the zombies uh she has to inhabit the body of one of the infected um so that the doctor can open up a door and while she's in the body she makes like this kind of like really dumb quip and it's it's a bit of a nothing throwaway moment and then as they're leaving that room she jumps back into rose's body and again to billy piper's performance you get this really quick like moment of her a billy piper as cassandra sitting on the ground sort of the first time she's inhabited um somebody else other than her who has suffered a great deal and so it imbues her with this like massive amount of um empathy essentially which is a nice character beat of course but it doesn't really justify where we get to by the end of the story which is she inhabits chip's body uh chip starts dying and her whole deal like between the genocide and, and the murdering and the scheming and the plotting and the refusal to die just completely melts away in an instant and she's like i'm dying but that's okay and it's like why is this suddenly okay and furthermore to that problem why is the doctor suddenly like hey it's cool you've learnt your lesson i'm gonna give you one final chance yeah there's a lot of shorthand and just bad choices, I guess. 
<laughs> being made with uh, the decision to give Cassandra a happy ending. It, it, it feels like one of those things where I like, I, and obviously I don't know this. Uh, I'm not the author of this story, um, but it feels like one of those decisions you make as a writer where you have a really good ending and you sort of write an episode towards that ending. Um, and that's how I imagine it because I, because I really, I really, if I was going to say there was like one superlative aspect of this episode, it is the ending as an example of what good sci-fi can do as an example of what good Doctor Who can do to take a really weird concept and turn it to an, on its head into an emotional, emotionally resonant moment. Um, I think it's a great capper to this a great ending, but not necessarily a great ending to this episode. Um, because it, yeah, like, as you say, like that, her decision to suddenly die comes out of nowhere. I know that there's a lot, uh, there's a recurring theme in the show of, you know, everything has its time and everything ends and cycles of life and rebirth. This is very much baked into Doctor Who as a concept. Um, but with Cassandra, she had always been defined as a character who refused that, who refused to die and would do anything to, to not, to not do that. And not in a mystical way, but in a very funny cosmetic surgery way, which is, you know, its own discussion. Um, and so to have her, yeah, like that moment where she zaps herself into the, into the, the flesh body and then zaps out again, it's a nice moment, but it is totally, totally understated and not at all, uh, commented on after that point and I feel like it's doing a lot of heavy lifting to explain what why Cassandra comes to the decision she does at the end yeah and that end decision um that we've, we've kind of talked around here but like essentially the doctor in while she's in Chip's body he takes her back to the past so that she in Chip's body can tell her past self how beautiful she looks on the last night that she remembers being called beautiful. And so it becomes the whole like time looping back on itself where she gets a very narcissistic, but framed as sympathetic, happy ending to her life. And you're just left there wondering like, why did the doctor do this? Why is this being framed as the, in the same way with the flesh ending with all the the clones suddenly being okay. It's like, why is this happy? Like why, like if you put any thought into it beyond the happy music and the camera work, you're like, what am I like? Why do I feel, why am I supposed to be feeling good about this moment? Um, it just, it's just messy. It's super messy. And it feels so wrong after David Tennant's first episode, when he's like specifically said that he doesn't give second chances. And then in his first episode, he's like, I'm going to give you a second chance. It's like, what? Like what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's not great. But um, I think that pretty much brings us to our end of our discussion of New Earth. This is to to crib a joke from uh, debating Doctor Who, another podcast that I'm sure if you're listening to this, you probably know about debating Doctor Who. But to crib a joke from them, uh, this is the most anyone's talked or thought about New Earth in a long time. <laughs> so let's wrap it up here. Uh, what are you grading New Earth? Uh, look, I'm going to give it a C plus. I feel like that's actually pretty generous in the circumstances. Um, what about you? Uh, I'm going with a C. We'll take a quick break and then we'll be back to talk about Tooth and Claw. Might I 
introduce Her Majesty Queen Victoria. Every full moon, the howling rings through the valley. This is a man who becomes an animal. A werewolf. It can't be an actual wolf. Bullet can't stop it. Tooth and Claw this time, um, also written by Russell T Davies, but this time directed by our old friend Eros Lin. Uh, if we look at IMDb for this episode, we have the Doctor and Rose are transported to 19th century Scotland, where they meet Queen Victoria and try to protect her from a ravenous werewolf and a band of assassinating warrior monks. <laughs> it's a good bite. It's like a good like one-liner, right? Like. I would want to watch that episode. Yeah. And look, it does pretty much cover the plot, which is convenient because um, I forgot to write us a plot description for Tooth and Claw. So we are just going to wing it. Um, Yeah. Essentially, Rose and the Doctor land in 19th century Scotland, where they meet Queen Victoria. Uh, They travel with her to to the Torchwood estate, um, which we'll reveal later and whatnot. Um, But before they get there, the estate is taken over by a, a band of assassins fascinating warrior monks who for some reason you know we'll get to the monks um they've taken over this place in an attempt to assassinate the queen it's all part of this big contrived plot involving a tree on a train line for some reason um the doctor and rose and the queen all kind of form this like little scooby-doo gang while they're in the house together um the there's a werewolf it breaks out it starts killing people the doctor and rose run around for a little bit with the queen the queen is not amused um they kill the werewolf using some ancient um magic telescope thing that the previous owners of the house had built um and then the queen says hey i don't really like your attitude about danger it scares me so i need you guys to fuck off and get out of my kingdom forever and so they leave and then while they're leaving the queen is like i shall establish torchwood in case the doctor ever returns to my fair place and she's also a werewolf now the end (laughs) that was um, <laughs> it was amazing. Listen to my reaction is totally fresh. I've never, <laughs> that was such a good effort. Well done. Thank you. I did not try. <laughs> so, uh, let's get into Tooth and Claw. First of all, uh, overall impressions of Tooth and Claw. Okay. Tooth and Claw. I remembered it as an episode that I didn't like. And it, uh, uh, yeah, like I... <laughs> It's definitely not one that I sought out as like a classic. Um, so I think that goes a long way to me enjoying it a lot on rewatch, just because I didn't remember any of the details and it had been such a long time since I saw it. Um, so on a, again, as with New Earth, on a surface level, like totally perfect, serviceable, enjoyable episode. Excuse me. Uh, totally perfect, enjoyable, serviceable episode. Um, there are things to pick upon. We wouldn't be doing a podcast if there weren't. Um, but overall, like, I'm actually not that, like, down on this episode. I think it's pretty okay. What about you? Uh, yeah, pretty much the same boat. I don't, I think it's been established, like, I don't love the historical episodes typically. Uh, and I did remember this one not fondly at all. And then upon watching it, I was like, you know what? This is dumb, 
but it's very watchable. Like it's just a, the really perfect example of a, just one of those mid tier Doctor Who episodes. It's not amazing, but it's not bad either. Um, there are definitely some problems in where it sits in the overarching problem with season two. And we'll definitely get to that. Um, but I think if you just take it in a vacuum, it's a fun little jaunt. Jaunt is right. Like it, there are definitely the setup of this episode and with the Doctor and Rose's, shall we say, attitude to traveling in time, um, definitely sets this up as like a fun little adventure romp. To its credit, it does point out that maybe the Doctor and Rose's attitude to that is not the best, but we still have to endure 45 minutes of it. <clears throat> endure is the wrong word. Why am I being so down? I just said I liked it. Look, it, we, we will get into it. Um, should we start with Rose and the Doctor? Should we just go straight into that? Uh, we should, but I am going to give a very special top of the episode note to the, um, I guess the the monks montage at the beginning of the episode in which uh, some priests show up at the estate. Um, the priest obviously has a, an established relationship with the owner and he's all like, ah, oh, you can't be here now, sir. No, you got to get out of this place. I don't know why I'm doing so many voices for Tooth and Claw. <laughs> I apologize about that. Um, but basically the, the priests show up and then they get told to fuck off. And in response to this, the priests are like, then we shall take it by force. And they rip off their priest clothes to reveal bright orange uh, samurai, like ninja monk outfits underneath and start doing a whole bunch of slow motion flips and kicks. And all while this like vaguely oriental music is playing in the background, it is staggeringly bad. Um, like I enjoy the rest of this episode just fine. This particular scene doesn't add anything and actively detracts from whatever was meant to be going on here. It's funny, isn't it? Because that like IMDb description you gave specifically points out that they are warrior monks, but this is like the only time that they use those abilities. And like, it's such a, like a, it's almost like a throwaway gag. Like it's just never mentioned again. I almost feel like it's just a cool, like in, in the producer's minds, it was like a cool, visual thing to do at the top of the episode but then they were like didn't think about how that would impact on the rest of the episode i don't know it's you're right it's weird it's odd it actually reminds me now i'm thinking about it it reminds me a lot of buffy because you've been watching it and the like the martial arts uh fighting aspect <laughs> of it is definitely i feel like it's that's a crib from buffy for sure uh, yeah, you know what? That's actually not that unreasonable a line to draw. It is, it's like, if you've seen Buffy, the way that Buffy fights is, uh, it's like the perfect epitome of like 90s, early 2000s powerful woman. Like it's all very like crypt from Kung Fu movies. There's a lot of kicks, a lot of flips. And it is very much that. Um, and yet yeah, again, it doesn't impact on the rest of the episode. They're never shown as monks again. Like they dress up as waiters at some point. I think at one point you see them outside with like monk outfits on again, but they never do anything. The werewolf becomes the main threat of the episode. Um, which look, we, we will, we'll get to the werewolf. Uh, but yeah, to your point, let's start with the doctor and Rose because they are fascinating in this episode. So the common criticism that's leveled at this episode is that the Doctor and Rose are clicky, for lack of a better word. They are they are 
two travelers in time, but they're also two travelers in time who are exclusively form a team and, and no one else can penetrate that tight little bond that they have. Um, rewatching it, I actually wasn't as annoyed by that aspect as I thought I was. The, to the episode's credit, the dialogue it gives between them is like very easy and fun and, um, not quippy necessarily, but it, it speaks to that kind of shared language that they have. Um, we've already highlighted that. Yes, the show has done no work to establish this relationship before that moment. Um, but it's still nice to have it around. The 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 other, I guess, flip side to that is that obviously that means that the Doctor and Rose's like detachment from things that are happening around them becomes a a a point of discussion in this episode with the queen victoria specifically calling them out for their flippant attitude when they're like joking about a werewolf after several people have been savagely killed by it um and they continue joking throughout the episode uh towards the events and it's funny because like that generally isn't a criticism you would level at other other shows if it did the exact same thing but usually in those cases the shows are treating like horror and monsters on that level throughout whereas this is just one episode doing that and so it does it i think rightfully does feel a bit off what do you think yeah i i agree it's a complicated one because um in every doctor who story there is a degree of flippancy towards death and danger because it's just inherently part of the the show's dna and and that's something you kind of have to accept um the problem i think with tooth and claw it shares some issues with new earth in the sense that it's come so early in the run of season two and rose and the doctor well really billy piper and david tennant we should say mm. have just a wild amount of chemistry it is like palpable how much these two clearly get along um and so because of that the doctor and rose's relationship becomes this like black hole that everything else gets sucked into like no matter what it is in this particular episode it gets sacrificed at the altar of the rose uh, of rose and the doctor having fun um and that fun is incredible don't get me wrong it's so well acted it's not very nicely written the way that they're always riffing off of each other and smiling at each other slyly on the side like any moment where the two of them lock eyes and have to interact is incredible in a vacuum um but again that it just it highlights the issue that um everything else in the episode becomes inherently less serious because of it and you are dealing with like there are named characters who die for very small amounts of um help or or no particular reason in this episode and you do get reaction shots from rose like when that happens or the doctor obviously gives a shit about the loss of life because of course he does but it's always so preoccupied with getting back on track to what it thinks that we're all here for which is rose and the doctor being all fucking kissy eyes at each other um that yeah it just ends up feeling like a really uneven experience and again this is episode two and the last episode that they had together rose was barely in it the episode before that the doctor was barely in it and now suddenly they are just best friends like you cannot overstate how chummy the two of them are in this episode oh totally they are just like the oldest and best of friends again not without precedent because obviously 
um, do I say precedent? Precedent. Um, obviously, because the she had spent a year traveling with Christopher Eccleston, and you have to sort of assume that some of that relationship will carry over. But like, there has been no discussion about uh, about this incarnation's relationship with Rose in particular, and no foreshadowing or like work done to lay the groundwork for this relationship. So the fact that it just it does uh, come out of like yeah, after two episodes where like one or the other was largely absent to suddenly have them be the best of friends. It, 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 it's a whiplash for sure. Yes, totally. And, and like, yeah, you're right. And it's the same thing we said in new earth. Like, yes, this is technically season two. Um, but it's, I think it's worth noting that in every other post regeneration season or story, there is time dedicated to building up this dynamic again. Um, and while like, yeah, you've got Rose carrying over from two doctors and the only other one that's done that is, is Clara. Um, but with Clara, if, if you look at her first episode with Capaldi after her time with Matt Smith, right, there is still, the relationship is still very much there and you get that really amazing moment where she still trusts that the Doctor is going to come back for her when she's holding her breath, right? And it's really emotionally resonant and whatnot. But you also pair that with the fact that she still is inherently not very trusting of this new face. She still has to learn how to reopen herself up to a new person here. And with Rose, all of that is just completely skipped over. And I do wonder if it's, again, that whole dynamic of um, older man, younger man, romance versus platonic uh, that that the two sort of um, regeneration arcs are working within, that the Rose and uh, and, uh, Doctor stuff becomes so much more like we've said like very much visual shorthand it, it takes a lot of shortcuts to get where it's going because it inherently just trusts that like you kind of just want to see these two actors bang <laughs> um i don't disagree with you in your assertion that like the transition f- with uh, clara on the as the companion was better not that we should be ascribing like better or worse to anything necessarily um it's all subjective. And I think, well, I would agree with you if I felt like this episode was furthering the romantic relationship between the two of them. But actually, I feel like it's strictly a friendship at this at this stage in this depiction because they're not making goo eyes at each other and they're not like, Rose isn't flirting or they, they are kind of like equals more so in this episode um, and also independent. I think one of the strengths actually of this episode is the fact that they do work independently of one another. And you get that really great sequence at the start with Rose um, comforting the the maid in the wardrobe, Flora, and rallying the, uh, questioning the wolf as well and rallying the, the prisoners in the cellar to escape. Like you do get the sense that they work really well independently of one another and as a team it's just when they're a teen, they also bringing out some of the worst tendencies in each other. Um, so yeah, I, I I think everything you're saying is perfectly valid. I don't know if this episode is exactly indicative of the romance though in their relationship. Uh, I would push back on that slightly just because the previous two episodes have been very romantically coded. Um, and I think that you like in, in the, in the first season, we kind of were able to um and ah on whether an episode was coding them as romantic or platonic or paternal or whatever, because each episode genuinely was sort of trying different things out. Whereas I feel like with season two, you kind of are forced to view 
all of their dynamic through the romantic lens because it is explicitly telling that story in both subtext and text as well like we didn't talk about it in new earth but like there's another kiss between the rose and doctor and yes like it is cassandra in control of the body um but there is specifically a a moment of of dialogue where cassandra says like oh you know you think he's foxy too because i've been inside your brain and i i know what's going on in there and so like i think anything to do with rose and the doctor's relationship from this point on has to be viewed through that lens because that is explicitly where the story is going. And so while Rose is much more independent and um, like assertive and, and competent in this episode, which I, I obviously adore, um, it doesn't change the fact that like any scene that she has with the Doctor pertaining to their relationship is to build more of a foundation for the the inevitable romance that's coming. Uh, yeah, I think you're absolutely correct. Um, I do want to touch on Rose... I think I, I rose in this episode. I really, I gotta say, I really vibe with her actually here. Um, and as I mentioned previously, there's a scene early on in the episode. So the monks have taken all of the people in Torchwood house captive. Um, and they are planning to unleash this wolf as like a symbiotic alien that's passed into this boy. They've taken hostage. Um, and they plan to unleash the wolf in its full wolf, wolf form at the full moon to bite Queen Victoria and um, start an empire of the wolf. I do, um, I love Rose in that scene where she's, it's interesting to contrast it with uh, the Christmas invasion where we get the scene of Rose confronting the Sycorax and it's like played as a joke and she doesn't, she's not nearly as effective as she is here. She is just like stammering over her words there as opposed to here where she's like clearly, she's identifying the wolf she says, you know, you are, you're an alien. I know you're not from here. What planet are you from? And it's, you know, registers the intelligence in her. I love, I love all that stuff. And I'm, I'm surprised I didn't see it the first time around because like, this is Rose. This is the Rose I remember actually is the one who, who is caring and kind and questioning and brave as well. Like, you know, her bravery in the face of the wolf, like, transforming it's it's a horrific scene of the wolf like transitioning into the um sorry the boy uh, transforming into the wolf um and her bravery in the face of that is like commendable it's interesting <laughs> that when the doctor jumps on the scene in that in that in that moment her she her reaction is like where the hell have you been and they just like immediately like snap back into that whole clicky relationship the minute he comes back on the scene uh yeah no totally like i mean they like for all of my complaints about like you know oh i I don't particularly like the romance they're building here like they are perfect together and their dynamic works so well in this episode because it does explicitly um respect both of their intelligence and their agency like rose has something to do a lot of the time the doctor has something to do it feels like a really balanced good rose doctor story um and yeah like to your point this is the rose that we like to talk about because she is simultaneously caring uh invested competent and also still having fun. She still feels like the the 19-year-old girl that she is. Like, the ongoing joke about her trying to get the Queen to say, you know, I, I bet you're not amused, are you, Majesty, is so fucking funny. Um, and it's so silly, but it just, it works so well, again, because of Billy Piper's performance, because she just gives it her all in those moments. Um, yeah, I, look, I, I think Tooth and Claw is a fantastic Rose episode. There is, a, you've just reminded me of something, which is the, 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 
um, we are not amused thing that they keep trying to get Queen Victoria to say. It reminds me of, I wish I could find the reference. But I was trying to find it before we started recording. Um, it reminds me of something that the original creators of the show wrote in 1963, where they were like, and they were talking about um, travels, trips back into time. And they were saying how one thing that the travelers absolutely should not do as a rule is they shouldn't, um, the, the example they used is they shouldn't be inserting bon mots into the mouth of Napoleon, by which I mean bon mots being a phrase or a quippy remark in French. Um, so they shouldn't be giving Napoleon the words to say in time, i.e. they shouldn't be inherently, sorry, um, intentionally impacting on or making fun of historical figures, basically, which is exactly what this episode's doing. It's it's approaching Queen Victoria as a par- almost as a parody of Queen Victoria as opposed to a real person in spots where it works, actually, with this depiction of Queen Vic is the dinner scene uh, where the Doctor and her discuss ghost stories and life after death, which is an amazingly written scene. One of my favourite Russell T scenes ever. And in this really... Uh, interesting thread in this episode that isn't again it's a very light touch uh, as with new earth um but this this thread of science versus religion and queen victoria representing as the head of the church in england uh representing religion and rejecting elements that go against her belief i.e the doctor and rose i don't i don't think it's like entirely successful only because well maybe not successful but it's 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 an interesting aspect that isn't made enough of i don't know if that makes it successful or not successful but i wish there had been more of it yeah like when i was thinking about that through a little bit more in my note taking for this episode it it actually surprised me how much i enjoyed the thought that must have gone on behind the scenes to to come up with this episode like that it just feels very natural yeah, I, I agree. Um, to double back just a, a minute on your point about the dinner scene with Queen Victoria, um, I think that works uh, in the same vein that the that scene with Charles Dickens in um, uh, The Unquiet Dead, where instead of being like the caricature of a, of a historical figure, you actually get a little bit of insight into the emotional complexity going on within the man himself at the time in terms of his relationship to, to death and to legacy and whatnot. And so to have that moment essentially re, like uh, echo again here, where for the bulk of the episode, Queen Victoria is quite like, oh, I'm the queen and I'm proper. And her and Rose are having their little like jokey back and forth. And then you get this amazing scene in the middle where her and the doctor are sitting down having dinner and she does get to really explore or what grief has done to her even if it's just briefly um it's again it's to russell t davies's credit it is a moment that he completely excels at it's that emotional uh interiority of a character um and I, I just wish that the episode had had a bit more of that and that goes to your point about what you were saying with the whole religion versus science thing um the wolf is a fascinating exploration of that because the wolf is like very explicitly presented as like the same as a mythical magical story about a werewolf would be um including like the alien itself has that amazing line of like can i say the line because it's great he says i i carved out his soul and sat in his heart which is chilling it is chilling and it's so like dark magic spooky stuff it's really great and so 
you know, to present it in that way and you have the really horrifying transformation and he has the whole like black eyes and everything. And it's very much like it's, it's spooky. And then the answer to the werewolf problem ends up being uh, science, you know, it ends up being the telescope that was built by the previous, um, uh, own, like the, the previous generation of the Torchwood household or whatever it was. Um, and so uh, uh, there is inherently baked into the text, this whole like, you know, uh, magic, religion versus science and progress and whatnot. And I think Queen Victoria's reaction to the Doctor is another interesting commentary on that we'll get to in a moment. Um, I just wish that there had been, again, just a little bit more of it, a little bit less monks flipping around and people screaming and a little bit more of a quiet study in the warring ideologies that are going on here. I, yeah, like it's funny because like, actually another thing that I really vibe with with this episode is from the moment that the wolf transforms, there's a terrific pace and tension and uh, energy to the episode from that point on. And it becomes, yeah, like it becomes a, a chase episode of them trying to evade the wolf and trying to figure out how to stop it at the same time. Obviously, that means that any kind of like quiet, poetic uh, reflection on life and death and religion gets thrown out in favour of that. But I'm also not necessarily mad about that because I do like uh the 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 direction it also goes in um and i have to say like yeah like some of the some of the scenes with the wolf uh the running shots the pov shots from the wolf's perspective in as they're like chasing being chased by it are not necessarily like terrifying but like definitely there's a tension there there's not tension is actually the wrong word just there's a there's a there's a really nice pace to things I like it. Yeah, I, I agree. Like it's it's a solid episode of Doctor Who. Um, like I think structurally speaking, it's it all it all works. Like it locks into place nicely. It's not um as satisfying as it could have been, but it is still relatively amusing for what it is. So yeah, so they they're chasing them through the house, and they are they get to the the library and you know barricade the doors, and there's a terrific. I love 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 the shot of the Doctor like. Um, putting his ear up against the wall of the wood paneling and then the wall and then it going into like a two frame thing with the wolf on the other side and sniffing him out like I loved that so much um and then you get the scene of the doctor and 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 Rose and Victoria as well deducing like how like the plot that's been put in place to stop or defeat the wolf which involves the Kainor uh, diamond and the telescope in the tortured house. Um, I love the idea of this ancient plot that's been, um, that's been set up to capture the wolf again. Also, uh, a nice little throw at uh, not throw away, but a nice little parallel with the Satan pit, uh, impossible planet two parter. Um, the one like minor quibble and like, it just makes me laugh. It's not even like, an issue necessarily, but I just laugh at the fact that this room that they go into the library has mistletoe baked into the walls, which it's revealed is the, the monks have trained the wolf to, to fear it and think it's allergic to it as a way of controlling it. And so the walls in this library are also um, infused with mistletoe. I love that this wolf proof room has a fucking skylight in the top of it where the wolf can just jump down into them. I find that like, peak hilarity uh 
Yeah. I mean, it's Doctor Who. <laughs> like, that's the only thing I can think of to say to that. It, it, exactly. It's peak Doctor Who. It doesn't have to make sense. It just makes me laugh. Um, it just makes me laugh. Um, the, the, the one thing I do, like, I, I appreciate about this episode is, like, how much it really um, takes into consideration not necessarily historical events, but elements of history to come to its denouement. It's it's a rare example of Russell T doing a, a kind of a, as I said before, a um, one of those examples of like a plot that where an ancient plot has been, um, a plan has been put into action. It's not necessarily ancient because this is in relation to the characters on screen. It's recent history for them. Um, but I love how the Koinor is pulled into the episode as the like crux around which the wolf will be defeated. I love uh, the attention to detail with uh, Queen Victoria and Prince Albert and the, the interest in mysticism and spiritualism that he expressed and that she did somewhat as well in her lifetime. Like there is, it's, it's drawing on a lot of um, sources to make up its central story. And it's, um, it feels like quite refreshing after say an episode like the Christmas invasion or no, actually that's not even a good example. Like an episode like the new, new earth where the solution is uh, getting a bunch of medical bags and spraying some patients with it and just hoping it all works out in the end. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I think this ending kind of leans uh, maybe a little too hard into like uh, the the badder parts of, of Moffaty kind of writing in the sense that like everything has a purpose and it all ties together perfectly in that ending. And like, but yeah, to, to your point, it is good to have at least all of the plot threads actually coalesce into a cohesive story at the end, uh, as opposed to perhaps our last few adventures with uh, the Doctor and Rose. Um yeah, and that ending also has Queen Victoria having a pretty great moment where she knights them. Is that correct? Yeah, she knights them. The Doctor becomes Sir Doctor of Tardis and she, Rose, becomes Dame Rose of the Powell Estate, which is, I find, I love that. <laughs> yeah, um, so that's charming and whatnot. And then you think it's going to be like just like your traditional kind of like, yay, happy ending. And then the Queen is like, hey, look, you know, I've seen enough of you to know that uh, whatever future uh, my country has, you won't be a part of it because of the way that you treat, you know, the, the great beyond and the mysteries of life. And it's essentially a outright rejection of, um, of mysticism and the unknown. And like she thinks i mean like she does lean in hard into science i think torchwood is very much a i mean by design a human reaction to the unknown and so by banishing the doctor from uh england and then she ends with that speech about uh, the formation of the torchwood institute as an answer to if the doctor was to ever return um it's just a an interesting capper on a story that you know, it does technically play with the relationship between, um, you know, knowledge and the unknown and how individual humans react to that. And her fear-based reaction in creating Torchwood obviously goes on to have some pretty wide-reaching um, uh, plot implications for the season. Totally. Um, and I, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. I love that ending of of the Queen Victoria um, yeah, basically like outright criticising the Doctor and Rose for their 
attitude and blase fair attitude to um to the great beyond basically but also yeah that fear of what they represent and what is out there that could come back to haunt them it's interesting that when we do finally see torchwood and we'll go into more detail when we do the finale um you see torchwood as this very well not even very but this very it's it's under the surface this kind of xenophobic attitude to maybe xenophobic is the right, right wrong word jingoistic i think um attitude to the british to britain and the british empire which starts here with queen victoria's like assertion that anything sorry there's someone there's like a traffic jam downstairs um <laughs> with the queen victoria's fear of the beyond and her her assertion that we need to defend that she needs to defend britain against it um it's a really i don't know if it's a it's not a commentary yet but it is a it's a it's a really nice actually it's a really nice setup for where we go with torchwood it's funny that it comes so early on in the in the series run and it's quite explicit what torchwood is um here um but i still like it yeah well i guess you can't really do like the whole like bad wolf mystery all over again you know and so in that sense i am glad that they are at least being very and i mean like it's the same with um in christmas invasion when torchwood shows up as the only like you don't see torchwood all you see is the results of torchwood's um sort of ongoing history and experiments which is you know the creation of a death star laser which is pretty explicitly not a good thing um and so i'm glad that we're not doing the big grand mystery thing we got a bit of a taste of that with the face of bow in new earth and i didn't really care for that because Again, off of the back of Bad Wolf, I didn't need another, like, oh, what's Torchwood? I've heard that name before. <laughs> I've heard it lots of times. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm also very happy not to not be doing that. Um, it's, I think it's a more successful approach to the, to the arc kind of idea for Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, are there any other points you want to talk about with Tooth and or Claw? <laughs> Um, I, I guess I would only just, just point to the, I, we didn't, well, I, we kind of covered it a little bit in our discussion of Doctrine, of the Doctrine Rose, but I do just want to point out like how much that initial scene of them in the TARDIS is to me, like peak, peak is actually quite a, it's a strong, uh, <laughs> word to use. Um, I just, I really like the initial TARDIS scene of the two of them together. It feels so natural and easy. Um, with the music in the background as well, um, it's for me. It, 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 it's it's a successful example of like highlighting why Tardis life can be fun. Um, it feels fun when they're traveling together, and you know what? That's that's a great thing for this episode to achieve. So that's I'm I'm actually quite high. I like this episode. I, I'm not high. <laughs> Should say. Of, uh, you know what? No, no, that's fine. I'm not going to make a comment about how much of a square you are. We're just going to move along. We are going to uh, give a grade to Tooth and Claw. I'm going to go first just to shake things up while you regain your composure about possibly being high. Um, I am going to give Tooth and Claw a solid B minus. Look, fair enough. I'm going to give it a B only because a B nine, a B minus is dangerously close to a C plus, which I gave to New Earth, and I feel like they are poles apart from one another so a b for tooth and claw is what i'll give it great excellent 
Good stuff. Uh, so that is uh, New Earth and Tooth and Claw. Um, we hope that you folks appreciated us kind of like smashing these two together. I feel like we got some good discussion points out of it. Um, but again, it's just not quite enough for individual episodes on their own. Uh, I think that goes a long way to speaking to the quality of the scripts involved. But enough shade. Uh, next week, we are, well, sorry, in two weeks' time, we are very excited to be talking about School Reunion, though. Um, yes, School Reunion sees the return of a special character. Um, we won't give it away who it is, even though that episode's from 2006. Yes, we'll say, uh, let's see, uh, Sarah J. No, that's too obvious. Uh, S. Smith. (laughs) Yeah, I think that just about does it. Uh, As always, we want to thank you folks for listening to us. If you would like, you could please drop us a review on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen to the show as it helps us grow and makes us feel good. Uh, If you want to reach out and have any questions or thoughts read on the show, you can do so by emailing us at twoheartspodcast at gmail.com. That's to the word. Or you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at two hearts pod the number two uh yeah and look if you want to reach out i've been cj and you can find me on twitter and instagram at cj mclean underscore and i continue to be james and you can find me on twitter at at omg more james brilliant i'm glad that i can keep calling you james um thanks for thanks for listening to our discussion and we will see you again in, in two weeks time bye Tooth and claw, more like tooth and bore ring. (laughs) New earth, more like stupid. (laughs) And end it, end it. Cut.